if you've not already followed us on any of our social media, be sure to follow us on Facebook at NA Victory Church, Instagram at na.victorychurch, and YouTube at Victory Church Media to stay informed of all that's going on here at Victory. Let's give the Lord that praise tonight. Amen. How many knows he's worthy of everything that we can give? Amen. Such an honor to be in the house of the Lord with you this evening. And um, such an honor to be in the presence of the Lord. And uh, thank you to the praise team and all the musicians who have uh, set the atmosphere that we're feeling right now. You know, atmospheres like this don't just happen, but there's people that get here early and they sacrifice their time uh, to do everything they can to create an atmosphere like we're in right now. And I'm thankful for the presence of the Lord that I feel in this room. Uh, give honor tonight to your leadership, uh, your bishop and his family, and also your pastor and uh, his wife and their family as well. Don't you know how blessed you are to have the leadership that you have here at this church? Amen. And I give them honor tonight. And uh, so many, so many friends that are in the audience this evening, uh, thank you for being in the house of the Lord tonight. You know, I learned a long time ago that if we'll just let God be God, uh, great things always happen. And I don't know about you, but I've come tonight just to let him do whatever he wants to do. Amen. And I believe that he wants to do great things. My wife is going to sing tonight. It's an honor to have my family with me this evening. Uh, COVID has kind of prevented them from going several places here lately. Uh, but I'm thankful that they're with me tonight. And so let's worship tonight as my wife sings. the song that I picked to sing. I'm actually singing it because I thought of Sister Selena. But um, we all gone through so much, everybody I know. So many of you who have gone through so, so, so much from Sister Jennifer to Sister Selena to Sister Jody to so many of you. And I don't know all of your issues. But about two years ago when my sister passed, um, Um, this song kind of just showed up. Don't you love how God just is on time? He's so good to give us exactly what we need when we need it, just right at the moment. Um, and this song kind of just showed up. A friend of mine sent it to me, and she's like, look, just sing this song and just pray it until it's how you feel, until it's exactly what you're meaning. Because it's hard to trust God when you're going through something that is the lowest of lows. You know, like Job said, the darkest of nights. It's hard to trust God and to say, God, I trust you. You know, this happened, but, you know, your will. It's hard to do that. And even as a minister's wife, it's hard to do that. We're still flesh. It's hard to do that. And this song kind of dropped in my lap. And it just says, still, I will trust you, Lord. So if you're going through something tonight, let me tell you, I know from experience 
Just trust God one more time. Just try one more time because God will never fail you. God will never fail you. He may give you an answer, and it may not be the answer you want, but he will never, ever, ever fail you. And y'all just sing this with me. Oh, I shouldn't have cried.
our hands one more time all over this house and let's just continue to bask in his presence uh, the spirit of the Lord is in this room this evening and I don't believe he wants us just to have an ordinary service tonight but I believe his spirit is in this house to accomplish something direct amen if you can grab your Bibles I'm going to Proverbs chapter 12 Proverbs chapter 12 and also 1 Peter chapter 5. And as you're finding that, I also want to say it's good to see Brother Carroll tonight. I was uh, privileged to preach a few anniversary services with him a couple of years ago in Carlsbad and uh, give him honor tonight as well. I believe the Lord wants to minister directly to some individuals this evening. And uh, I had no idea what my wife was going to sing tonight. Uh, but, you know, the Lord has all this figured out before we get here. So Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 25. And then we will go to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and 7. Solomon tells us in the 25th verse, Proverbs chapter 12, heaviness in the heart of man maketh it stoop. Heaviness in the heart of man maketh it stoop. First Peter chapter 5 and verse number 6 and verse number 7. Peter tells us to humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, simply because for he careth for you. Solomon tells us that heaviness in the heart of man maketh it to stoop. And Peter tells us to cast all of our cares upon him. My title tonight is something that I have felt very strongly leading up to this service. And so with that in mind, I want to preach to you simply about the cure for a heavy heart. 
the cure for a heavy heart. Can we lift our hands one more time all over this house before we're seated? And as your hands are lifted, why don't we join our voices one more time all over this house? Oh, and let's ask the Holy Ghost to finish what he's already started. Oh, Lord, we feel your ministering presence in this house already. And God, there's nothing that I can do. There's nothing that we can do. But, Lord, it's something that you're able to do. Lord, it's not by might and it's not by power, but it's by your spirit. And, Lord, I'm asking that your spirit would do what only your spirit can do in this house. Oh, we thank you, Lord, for a witness of the Holy Ghost that we feel right now. In Jesus' name, why don't you put your hands together one more time all over the house. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing with me, and you may be seated tonight. If you would allow me to just be honest as I begin this evening by saying that I have not come to this pulpit with some fancy style of a sermon to preach. Uh, the truth is, I probably couldn't do that if I tried, but my goal in this house for the next few moments uh, is not to impress, but rather try to impact some individuals uh, who are sitting among us in this room tonight. And so with that in mind, I've come to do my best to address an issue that so many in our world and even so many in our churches are presently dealing with. It's almost the elephant in the room, so to speak, because it's that thing that exists. But we would rather tend to bypass it so often. We would rather avoid it than identify it. I've come to deal with that seven-letter word that most of us, if not all of us, would rather not use in our vocabulary. Yes, I've come to preach and I've come to deal with anxiety for the next few moments in this house. And I am well aware of the negative connotations that are attached with this word and even the uneasy feelings that the very mention of this word brings. But I believe if we are going to deal with the issues at hand, we cannot ignore those issues, but we must confront those issues through God's word. A pastor friend of mine once said that you cannot overcome what you will not confront, and you cannot confront what you will not identify. So my task in this pulpit tonight is to try to identify the very thing that so many of us are presently dealing with. Anxiety has been defined as the feeling of worry or nervousness or being uneasy, typically about an event or something with an uncertain outcome. It also means to have intense, excessive, and persistent worry and fear about everyday situations. According to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, approximately 40 million American adults, which is roughly 18% of the U.S. population are experiencing chronic anxiety in one fashion or another. It was in August of 2018 when Barnes & Noble, who are the largest book retailer in the United States, announced a huge 25% surge in sales of books that dealt directly with anxiety, which then led to a press reporter making the announcement that we are no doubt 
living in a generation where anxiety has become prevalent. It was in 2008 when Harriet, Harriet Green, a journalist for The Guardian, wrote that we as Americans are entering into an unprecedented age of fear, worry, and anxiety. Then in 2014, Patrick O'Connor wrote in the Wall Street Journal that Americans are registering record levels of anxiety almost on a weekly, if not a daily basis. And the truth is, it is something that our nation, no doubt even our world, is presently submerged in. And if the truth were to be told, it is something that so many in this church are dealing with tonight. Because if we could go beyond the facade, and if we can look beyond the physical and into the spiritual, how many people we see sitting in this congregation tonight who are attempting to deal and cope with your own personal anxieties? How many may be sitting among us who are worrying about circumstances or fearing the outcome of certain situations? How many may be wondering about the what ifs life has unexpectedly thrown in your direction? Others who may be unsure about what tomorrow may unfold. A recent study came up with the shocking conclusion that every week an individual will spend 14.3 hours of worry that week, which then equals to 744 hours of worry each year, which then translates into 45,243 hours of worry over that lifetime, which then equals to 1,885 days in a lifetime spent doing nothing but worrying, which tells me that the average American and the average person in this room will spend 5.2 years of your life doing nothing but worrying and wrestling with this thing called anxiety. The word worry itself comes from the English word anxiety, and it simply means to strangle or to seize by the throat. And I'll just level the playing field tonight and let everybody know exactly where I'm coming from this evening. And I'll be the first one that's honest with the bishop, and I'll tell this congregation that this isn't something that I'm preaching to you that I know nothing about personally because the truth is I know what it's like to worry and I know what it's like to deal with the unknown and I know what it's like to wrestle with this thing called anxiety because the last two years has been the most challenging and trying times that I've ever had to go through and I can tell this congregation I've spent many a days in prayer with my hands out wondering and questioning the Lord what's going to go wrong tomorrow and what's going to happen next from 11 hospitalizations to my youngest son Cade being born seven weeks premature to Courtney going into emergency surgery to my nieces having brain surgeries and birth defects to losing my sister-in-law in a head-on collision I can tell this congregation that I know what it's like to be apprehensive and I know what it's like to worry and I know what it's like to deal with this thing called anxiety and there's people in this house tonight I feel your spirit already you know exactly what I'm preaching about right now you know what it's like to worry you know what it's like to be fearful you know what it's like to be apprehensive there's anxiety in this room tonight and God wants to take care of it 
I feel my Holy Ghost in this house. I've come to tell us the circumstances may differ, but there's people in this room who know exactly what I'm preaching about. And the thing that arrests my attention more than anything else when dealing with anxiety is anxiety does not attack a certain age group. It doesn't single out a certain demographic. It'll reach inside the walls of a church and try to find a foothold in the hearts of people. But Brother Bishop, in my travels, I have noticed it grabs a hold against adolescents. It comes against our teenagers. It attacks our young married couples. It wars against middle-aged individuals. It even opposes our elders. I've come to tell us anxiety is that thing that grabs us by the throat and it strangles us. And the Holy Ghost sent me to tell somebody God is in this house and we're going to confront it. We're going to identify it. We're going to call it out. And God wants somebody to know there is a remedy and there is a cure. God wants somebody to know he sees what you're dealing with and there is a cure in the house. The truth is every person in this house has wrestled with this thing called anxiety. So if we're going to attack it through God's word, We've got to look at what God's word says. And the amazing thing is this, when you begin to look at anxiety from a biblical perspective and standpoint, the word anxiety will not appear in the King James Version of your Bible, but the translators use synonyms such as trouble, heaviness, distress, and cares in its place. David's passionate prayer, I'm sure, would resonate with some in this house when he asked the question in Psalm 13, how long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow? in my heart daily. That's how the King James Version translates the verse. But it's the Holman Standard Bible that makes it somewhat clearer when it renders David's prayer from this context. How long will I store up anxious concerns within me and have heaviness in my heart every day? Solomon's proverb, our text, rings true to many. When Solomon tells us heaviness in the heart of a man maketh it to stoop, you must understand it was Solomon's way of telling us anxiety has an effect on the heart. If anxiety is not dealt with, it has a damaging effect on the heart of that individual that's dealing with anxiety because Solomon tells us heaviness in the heart of a man maketh it to stoop. Anxiety has a way of weighing down our heart and cannot tell this congregation that caring fears and caring worries and caring apprehension and being unsure has a way of weighing down our hearts and making it heavy. And if you're in this house tonight and you find yourself in that place. It's no time to disqualify yourself, but I've come to tell everybody in this house, you can open up that Bible, and there's people from the Genesis to the Revelation who knew exactly what I'm preaching about. We could talk about David. Yes, he's a man after God's own heart. Yes, he defeats Goliath in the valley. 
Yes, he sits on a throne and he becomes Israel's greatest king. But can I remind us, it was David who knows what it's like to deal with what I'm preaching about because in many of David's psalms, he writes from a position of fear, worry, and anxiety. What about Elijah the prophet? He can call fire down from heaven. He can defy the prophets of Baal, but he's the same man who sits suicidal under a juniper tree, and he's driven into a cave by a woman named Jezebel. What about Jeremiah? He knows what I'm talking about because he speaks of the troubles and the sorrows that were with him since he was born, and the Bible calls him the weeping prophet because anxiety does something to the heart. Anxiety has an effect on the individual that's carrying those loads and carrying this thing that I'm preaching about. Can I tell this congregation that even Jesus knows exactly what I'm preaching about in this room? Listen, we as apostolics love to shout over the fact that Jesus was 100% God, but let us never forget he was also 100% man. The Bible says he finds himself in the Garden of Gethsemane and the distress and apprehension he finds himself in. The Bible says his sweat turns into drops of blood. Doctors have come to call that hematidosis because it simply means your skin bleeds without any open wounds. And that is the effect that this distress had on Jesus. That is the effect anxiety weighed on him because nobody wants to go to a cross and nobody wants to die and nobody wants nails in their hands and feet. That was the effect it had on Jesus himself. To take it a step further, I've read commentaries that tell me that before he ever went to Calvary, it was in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus truly began to die. It's amazing to know that before his back was exposed to the smiters and before a crown of thorns were pushed on his brow and before he had to carry that beam on his shoulders and before nails were driven in his hands and feet and before a spear was plunged into his side. May I remind everybody in this room it was in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus began to die because that's the effect it had on his heart. And I've come to preach to some people in this house tonight and you're carrying things that nobody around you knows that you're carrying. You've got your Sunday best on. You've got your suit and your tie on. You've got your hair fixed right. But on the inside, there's a heavy heart. You've got a smile on your face. But there's heaviness inside of your spirit. Oh, I feel your heart right now. I'm preaching to somebody right now. You come to church and you pay your tithes and you praise the songs and you come to an altar, but on the inside there's heaviness. On the inside there's apprehension. On the inside there's something that's weighing you down. How many in this room right now finds themselves having a Gethsemane experience? How many may be sitting in this house right now and you're carrying anxieties within yourself? How many in this room right now you're carrying burdens and you're carrying fears and you're carrying uncertainties? There's people in this room right now, there's some things you're not sure how they're going to turn out. You're apprehensive. You're unsure. How many is unable to sleep at night because you're tossing and turning in your bed? Solomon understood something. Heaviness in the heart of a man maketh it to stoop. Solomon understood that if anxiety is not confronted and if it's not identified, it weighs down the heart. 
So we must ask the question right now, if that is the effect anxiety has on an individual, if that is the effect anxiety has on my heart, surely we have to ask the question, what is the cure? for my heavy heart. In fact, I believe there's some people in this room this evening who find themselves asking that same question. Surely there's got to be a remedy and surely there's got to be a cure. Surely God doesn't expect me to carry this every day of my life. Well, I've come with good news to tell you that there is a remedy and there is a cure and God does not want you to carry those things. I take you to Peter's writings because it's in our text in 1 Peter 5 and 7 where we find Peter writing to us and he tells us to cast all of our cares upon him because he careth for you. It's amazing to know that that word cares in the original Greek language translates to our word anxieties. And it's amazing that when the Holy Ghost began to move on Peter to write, God was in that moment, but he was looking to 2020 and he said, Peter, I gotta get you to write about the anxieties in this life. I've gotta get you to tell somebody in victory that there is a way to handle your cares there is a way to handle your anxieties you've got to take them and you've got to cast them cast your cares upon him now in order to fully understand what Peter's telling us we've got to go back to Luke 19 and 35 because this is how the Bible works. It always interprets itself. And to fully understand how I'm supposed to handle my anxieties, in order to fully comprehend what Peter's telling me, you've got to go back to Luke 19 and 35. The setting of the text is familiar. It's Palm Sunday, and Jesus has sent two of the disciples into the city to get a colt for Jesus to ride on. And it tells us that they brought him, the colt, to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the back of the colt. And you must understand that the way that they cast their garments on the back of the colt is the exact same way Peter tells us to cast our anxieties upon him. And the parallel between the verses is straightforward. If you are wearing a garment and you no longer want to carry the garment, you simply cast off that garment. You're no longer carrying the garment on your shoulders, but now the coat is carrying the garment for you. And it's amazing to know that the same way the disciples cast their garment on the back of the coat is the exact same way God tells us to cast our cares upon him. And so understanding that, can I tell somebody in this room, you're carrying things that God never intended for you to carry. When I understand that the way that I handle my cares is I've got to cast them on him, that lets me know it's not God's desire for me to live overburdened and for me to live overwhelmed. I've come to tell this congregation, you've got to cast your cares. That's how you handle your anxieties. Cares are meant to be cast down not carried. How many's in this room right now? And I've been there myself. How many times do we carry things in the church that God doesn't want us to carry? 
I'll take it a step further. How many times do we carry things out of the church uh, that God never wanted us to carry out? Uh, look, it's one thing to carry them in, uh, but don't carry them out uh, because somewhere in that service, uh, we've got to come to the understanding of uh, those things that weighed me down coming in, uh, they're not going to weigh me down going out. Uh, I've got to come to the realization uh, that my anxieties uh, have got to be cast down. Uh, my cares uh, have got to be thrown down uh, because anxieties uh, are supposed to be cast not carried. It's amazing that cults can carry up to 30% of their own body weight. But the good thing about God is he doesn't want 30% of your worries tonight. Can I tell somebody in this house God is not interested in just carrying 30% of your fears or 30% of your apprehension or 30% of your uncertainties. That's why Peter erases all the doubt and he says, cast all of your cares upon him. Listen, it's not God's desire for us to walk out of this house with 1% of worry in our heart. God says, you've got to cast it all. And I'm challenging somebody in this house before we dismiss and go home, you're going to come with a decision. I'm they're going to carry it out or I'm going to cast it down. And I refuse to carry out those things that I carried in. To add further emphasis to what Peter's telling us, that word cast, Brother Bishop, literally means to throw down with intent. So I think Peter's trying to tell us at some point We've just got to come into God's house with a mindset uh, that says, you know what? My heart has been heavy long enough, uh, and I've been weighed down long enough, uh, and I've been fearful long enough, uh, and I've been unsure long enough. Uh, listen, there's a lot of uncertainty in this house right now, uh, but can I tell somebody, uh, you can cast it on God uh, and put your trust in him. Uh, listen, this world may change. Uh, everything else may fall apart, uh, but there's one constant. Uh, there's one thing we can rely on. Uh, he'll never change. Uh, he's the same. I can and cast my uncertainties. Your anxieties were never meant to be carried. They were meant to be cast down. And I refuse to carry things that God does not want me to carry. I refuse to walk out of this house with things uh, that God says, I'll carry them for you tonight if you'll just give them to me. Uh, listen, that's why the prophet Isaiah tells us uh, that God is a nail uh, in a sure place. Uh, we can hang on him the vessels of cups, uh, which are small burdens, uh, or hang on him the vessels of flagons, uh, which are large burdens. Uh, it's why the psalmist tells us uh, to cast your burdens uh, upon the Lord. Uh, it's why Jesus tells us, come unto me, uh, all you that labor are heavy laden, uh, and I will give you rest. Why should I cast them? I've come to tell us the cure for your heavy heart has always been found the moment you cast down those anxieties. The cure for your heavy heart and the cure for my heavy heart has always been found the moment I cast those things down and I refuse to carry them out. Listen, at some point, we've just got to become that blind Bartimaeus. Uh, you know, the blind man that sat by the roadside begging. Uh, he, the Bible says when Jesus passes by him, uh, he cast off, there's that word, uh, he cast off his garment. And that doesn't mean much until you realize that garment. Told everybody around him he's a beggar. That garment told everybody around him he's blind. 
They could see that going in the distance, uh, and they knew exactly who it was, Brother Bishop, uh, because his infirmity uh, had become his identity. Uh, that garment stigmatized him. Uh, that garment had branded him. Uh, and if you and I are not careful, uh, we can become branded in the spirit if we're not careful. Uh, we can put on a garment that says, I'll always be afraid, uh, and I'll always stress, uh, and I'll always have emotional problems, uh, and I'll always have nervous breakdowns. Uh, but at some point, uh, you've got to stand up uh, and say, the garment's coming off. Uh, I've got to cast it down. I wish somebody in this house would make up their mind right now. I've been laid down long enough. Oh, somebody right now ought to make up your mind. I'm throwing this garment down. I'm casting it off. It's branded me long enough. I'm going to walk out of fear. I'm going to step out of anxiety. I'm going to go beyond apprehension because the cure has always been found. When you cast it down, oh, there can be an exchange of garments in this house right now. Doesn't your Bible say he'll give you a garment of praise uh, for the spirit of heaviness? Uh, and I'm telling somebody, I feel my Holy Ghost right now to tell somebody, uh, you can get your praise back uh, and you can get your shout back uh, and you can get your dance back uh, if you cast off heaviness uh, and let God robe you uh, and cloak you uh, with a garment of praise. The cure has always been found when you cast it down. Peter tells us, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Let's all be honest tonight and just admit that's the hardest thing you and I have to do. Hardest reality I had to come to terms with in those two years of that trial was I had to look at myself every day and say, you can't do this by yourself. Listen, we're not strong enough to carry it. We're not smart enough to figure it out. And the greatest reality we'll ever come face to face with is looking ourselves in the mirror and saying, I can't do it and you can't do it. Oh, but it's in those moments Peter says, I'll tell you what you do when you no longer can carry it and you can't figure it out. You've got to humble yourselves at the mighty hand of God. And it's in those moments when I bend my knee to God, it's in those moments I can give him what I cannot carry. Why should I give them to him? Because he cares for you. Sometimes the hardest thing that I have to remind myself of is God knows where I am. God knows what I'm dealing with. Surely I'm not the only one that's looked at everything God has created. The God that spoke this world into existence. The God that created the stars and the Bible says calls them by name. It's sometimes hard to remind myself that that same God knows where I am. And that same God is concerned about what I'm dealing with. Why should I cast my cares on him? Peter says he cares for you. This is the most simplistic statement you'll ever hear in your life, but here it is. God cares about you. And if we could ever get a hold of that simple revelation... It would turn our mindset around. It would turn our hearts around. It would change our perspective of God. If I could just simply get a hold of that simple revelation, God knows where I am, and God is concerned about me. I was preaching in the state of Louisiana, I believe February of this year. After the service, or altar service was going on, young man, probably mid-30s, Brother Bishop, 
sharp dressed young guy. Somebody you would have never thought in a million years would have, was, was about to tell me the story that he was about to tell me. I mean, he had the tie right, he had the suit right, everything looked great on the outside. But he pulls me to the side and tears rolling down his face. He said, Brother Samford, I just got to tell you, you're preaching exactly where I'm living right now. He said, I know I look the part. I know I look like I got everything, all the T's crossed and all the I's dotted. He said, but let me tell you something I haven't told anybody. He said, two weeks ago, I was sitting in my living room, pitch black in my living room. And he said, I had tears rolling down my face. And he said, the adversary was telling me nobody cares and nobody loves you and nobody's concerned about you. You might as well just end this thing. And he said, I took a loaded handgun to my head. And he, this is what he told me in the altar. He said, I pulled the trigger three times. And he said, all three times it misfired. And he said, from the darkness of that living room, he said, a voice spoke to me and said, they may not care, but I care. And I'm telling somebody in this room today, you may feel like you're by yourself, but God's there. You may feel like nobody else cares, but God cares and God is concerned. I wish somebody right now would throw your hands up. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. God wants somebody to be reminded. He sees where you are. He sees what you're going through. And you got to cast. I'm preaching to people right now. It would blow people's mind, Brother Bishop, if we could look in the spirit uh, and see the heaviness in people's hearts right now. Uh, oh, I feel your spirit right now, but the Holy Ghost uh, wants somebody to know uh, there's a way to handle your anxieties. Uh, you've got to give them to me. Uh, you've got to cast them down. Uh, you cannot walk out of this house uh, with the same things you walked in with. God cares. I'm skipping this because I feel like God wants to move. God is concerned. Why do you think the Bible says Jesus wept when Mary and Martha met him? But the bishop, that, that scripture's always puzzled me because why is Jesus crying? I mean, read a few verses down. I mean, he's gonna raise him from the dead. He didn't bring Lazarus back to life sporadically and just in a moment of inspiration. No, he knows the end from the beginning. He knew before he ever got there, he's going to raise him from the dead. So why is Jesus crying? I believe it was the tears of Mary and Martha that met him. And when something had gripped their heart, it gripped his and even though Jesus understood, I'm about to speak Lazarus, come forth. In that moment of heaviness in their heart, it reached out and tugged on the heart streets of God himself. And I'm telling somebody in this room, listen, God is not some God that's a million miles away. He's in this house right now. And he wants somebody to know that if it's bothering you, it bothers him. If it's pulling on your heart, it's pulling on his. We've got a priest that can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. God feels everything that you and I feel. Why do you think the Bible says Jesus looks at him and says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Fear not, you're more value than many sparrows. What is Jesus saying? He's telling us that if I know when the smallest of birds fall to the ground, I know every detail about your life. If he takes the time to count the hairs on our head, 
That tells me he is intimately acquainted with every detail of my life and yours. God knows where you are. God is concerned about what you're dealing with right now. If you could throw up Philippians 4 and 6 and 7, I'm done. Paul hits on this, and I'm going I'm to look at this, and we're going to wrap this thing up because the Holy Ghost wants to do something. But Philippians 4 and 6, the Bible says, Paul writes and says, be anxious. There's that word again. Be anxious for nothing. That word anxious literally means, or be careful for nothing. That word careful means anxious. Paul is saying, don't worry about anything. It's easier said than done, Paul. It's easy to preach, but it's hard to practice. Be careful, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with things. You know what he's telling us? Don't carry it. Cast it. And once I make the transition I can make, once I take it out of my hands and cast it down, Paul says, the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. You got to get it with me. Once I make the transition I can make, because the fact is, God's not going to rip my anxieties out of my hands tonight. God's not going to stick his hand in your chest and pull the heaviness out. I choose whether or not I carry it or I cast it. You choose in this house whether you walk out of this house with the same things you walked in with or you cast them down. But Paul says once you make the decision to cast it down, God makes a transition only he can make. He's going to take the heaviness out of your heart. And in this place, he's going to give you peace. That's going to keep your heart. Now, to fully understand what Paul is telling us, that word keep means a whole lot more than just the black and white ink on your page. In ancient cities, they tell me that cities were always surrounded by walls. There was one way in that city and there was one way out of that city. You had to pass through the gates of that city. And kings were smart enough to know that I've got to protect my gates at all costs. Because if the gates fall, my city's going to fall. So the Bible tells us, or history books tells us, these kings appoint men to watch over and protect the gates of those cities. Those men had names. They were called watchers or keepers. It's the same word that Paul uses when he says the peace of God is going to keep, protect your heart. Kings understood my city is so valuable to me. I've got to protect the entrance to my city. So I'm going to put men that's going to watch out through all the land. And if enemy gets close to my gates, we're going to sound the alarm. And the military is going to be ready when they come and breach the gates. Can I tell somebody in this house that what God wants to do in this room right now, he wants you to cast down everything that you're carrying. And in return, he's going to take the heaviness out of your heart. And he's going to send back a supernatural watcher. There's going to be a keeper that stands guard at the gates of your heart. 
And anytime fear tries to get back in, anytime apprehension tries to get back in, anytime timidity tries to have access, there's no access in my life because there's a keeper of peace that's protecting my heart. Why don't you stand all over this house right now? Can I tell us if our heart fails us, it's not going to be long to everything else falls. And God says, I want you to give it to me because I've got a better trade-off than you could ever imagine. I'll take the heaviness out of your heart and I'm gonna send an angel of peace that's gonna stand guard at your heart, that's gonna stand guard at your family, that's gonna watch over your marriage, that's gonna watch over your kids, that's gonna stand at the gate of your house and your church. I'm telling somebody in this house, there needs to be an exchange for heaviness from the peace God wants us to have. They begin to play slowly tonight. The question is asked in Luke 21, what's going to be the sign that we're living in the last days? Men wanted to know what's it going to be like when we're living in the end time. Jesus begins a lengthy discourse. He says there's going to be wars and rumors of wars check there's going to be earthquakes there's going to be pestilences double check there's going to be signs in the sun and in the moon watch this the sea and the waves are going to roar southeast Texas is like I wish you'd have left that part out because look at all the hurricanes that are just destroying the Gulf Coast Jesus gives the list of what it's going to be like in the last days but then Jesus follows it up by this. The hearts of men are going to fail them because of fear. The Berean Study Bible literally translates that verse by telling us men's hearts are going to fail simply because of what's going on around them in their world. Fear and anxiety is going to become the most prevalent thing that we as the church have to overcome. And I've come to tell us the only cure for that heavy heart is you've got to be willing to cast down those things. It's making your heart heavy. Why don't we lift our hands all over this house tonight? We're about to come stand around the front, but as our hands are lifted right now, why don't we just allow the Holy Ghost?